This episode of MASHcast is dedicated to our dear departed friend, Professor Zoom Yukinori. Zoom, wherever you are, whether you know it or not, you did good. Attention, attention all personnel, it's MASHcast! Hello and welcome to MASHcast, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, Corporal Captain Rob Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent is fellow Fire and Water Network podcast, what am I saying, (laughs) whatever the combination of those words are, fellow Fire and Water all-star, Zoom Yukonori. Hi, Zoom. Wait a minute. Corporal Captain Rob Kelly? I came to this unit to talk to General Robert Iron Guts Kelly, one of the greatest fighting generals in our nation's history. Are you attempting to defraud the sanctity of the podcast organization, sir? I have half a mind to charge you under USMJ Article 106, impersonating a superior officer. I have ha- uh, with any luck, your tribunal will be headed by none other than General John Q. Public. And as you may be aware from recent years, sir, General Public can be very, very fickle. <laughs> yeah, it's true enough. I have tried for years to get people to call me Iron Guts Kelly, but it is not taken. So, and what kind of rank is Corporal Captain anyway? That sounds like a feeble attempt to gain entry into the officers' club. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I know it doesn't doesn't zoom you know doesn't like it at all. Okay, so <laughs> so well zoom. Welcome to the show. Finally, I'm very happy to to get you on the show. I've, it took took us all the way to season three, but I'm glad you're here. Yes, uh, all all kidding aside, it is it is an honor to be here. Thank you for having me, sir. Well, thank you. Except, of course, the episode we're here to talk about is from season three, episode four, Iron Guts Kelly. But before we get to the show in question, zoom. Since this is your first time, I have to ask you, like, what's your history with Mash, the TV show? Sure. Well, I I guess my first introduction to MASH would have been the summer of 1974. And uh, just as um, this man had first introduced me to the wonders of comic book collecting, he had also introduced me to MASH. I am, of course, talking about my Uncle Kenzo. Um, Essentially, I had to stay with Uncle Kenzo for about five weeks that summer of 1974 while my father uh, had a business trip to Singapore and, and my mother went along because she was Malaysian Chinese and she wanted to get a sense of home. In fact, that trip would eventually lead to us relocating to Singapore the following year, but I, I digress. When, when I was 10, my parents had to go on a short trip out of town for a few days, and circumstances had me staying home alone during that time, which was fine, actually, because I was quite capable of cooking and feeding and taking care of both myself and the house, though, again, I was only 10. However, our neighbors did not agree, and one self-righteous one even threatened to charge my parents with child neglect when they returned home. <laughs> oh, man. So, so my parents made sure I had an adult with whom to stay the next time they went on a trip, even though I was 11 at the time. So I, But, of course, it wouldn't be any of the neighbors, obviously. So I stayed with Uncle Kenzo for those near five weeks, and he loved mash so i would watch it i would watch it with him every sunday or sorry it was saturday night every saturday night i was there because uh, it was airing in prime time right at that time um i think the first episode i saw was uh chief surgeon who it was a oh, repeat okay wow All right. uh because i think they were repeating season one episodes uh during this time but i just remember it was the one where hawkeye was selected to be the 4077's chief surgeon and Majors Burns and Houlihan were trying to get Hawkeye in trouble with higher brass so Frank could get the position. Right. 
Um, I will admit at the time I didn't get a lot of the jokes, um, but I laughed at the ones I did get, and I was able to still follow the storylines and get an immediate sense of the characters. And sometimes Uncle Kenzo would explain some of the jokes to me, though he never did answer my question about what VD was. (laughs) At any rate, I I thought MASH was a more sophisticated show than Hogan's Heroes, which was the only other war-related comedy show I remember watching at the time. Um, Though I do recall there were a few episodes of MASH that kind of ventured into Hogan's Heroes territory. Uh, One example is Operation Noselift, which was another episode I actually saw while I was there with Uncle Kenzo, in which Pierce and McIntyre were trying to keep Majors Burns and Houlihan from finding out about a secret rhinoplasty operation that was against Army regulations. That just sounds like Hogan and crew trying to pull one over on Colonel Clink, you know? Yeah, completely. So that's that's my connection. That's that's how I, you know, Uncle Kenzo got me connected to MASH. Did you keep watching it after you went home, or was that kind of a thing that you sort of just did with Uncle Kenzo? Well, I did uh, I did watch it afterwards when I got home, when I could. Um, I mean, again, we moved to Singapore the following year, and after that it was the U.K., so trying to watch episodes of MASH were a little bit difficult um, at that time when I was overseas. Um I can't say that I followed the show religiously, but if I was uh, in the States and it was on the telly, I would usually watch it. All right. Excellent. Very cool. Uh, that's, we love that Uncle Kenzo, man. He introduced oh. you to so much cool stuff. Yeah, he he was great. <laughs> he was great. I, um, I was I was lucky to know him. Uh, yes, he sounds like a marvelous, marvelous person. Uh, well, yeah, so the episode that we're here to talk about, as I mentioned, is called Iron Guts Kelly. The original air date was October 1st, 1974. It's written by Larry Gelbart and Sid Dorfman, uh, and directed by Don Weiss. The 477th is visited by yet another blustery general, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly, the great James Gregory, and his assistant, Colonel Wartman, played by Keen Curtis. General Kelly takes a real shine to Hot Lips, of course, and during a late-night drink at the O Club, he instructs Colonel Wartman to get to, uh, uh, to take a tour of the 477's motor pool setup from Frank, hopefully taking a couple of hours in the process. Wartman, uh-huh. gets, the, <laughs> Wartman gets the idea, though it takes Henry a little longer to understand what's going on. I have a feeling Wartman has done this before. Yes. Yeah, oh, completely. Yeah, he's familiar with, uh, with the way uh, General Iron Guts Kelly operates. Uh, a few hours later, Hot Lips bursts into the swamp, desperately needing help from Hawkeye and Trapper. After initially refusing, they go to her tent where they find a deceased General Kelly who died in mid-performance, let's say. While, try- while trying, that, to figure- That can be argued later. We'll yeah. <laughs> while trying to figure out what to do, Frank arrives. She is uh, shocked. He is shocked to see Hawkeye and Trapper there playing cards with Hot Lips. Unusual, to say the least. After getting rid of Frank by pretending to have a headache, Hawkeye and Trapper sneak General Kelly's body out of Margaret's tent and into Corridor Wartman's tent. They tell him what happened, sort of, and he demands that General Kelly has to die, quote, more meaningfully, uh, meaning in the middle of a battle. He demands Mm -hmm. the doctors sign a death certificate to that effect, but they refuse. He threatens them with a court-martial, but since they have the truth on their side, Hawkeye and Trapper are not scared. He finally convinces them to put the body in an ambulance, and he'll drive it to the front where there's some fighting. After putting the body in that ambulance, it drives off, filled with business girls who some local MPs have arrested. Wartman asks where the ambulance is, and the doctors thought he took it. Henry finally storms in, wondering why everyone seems to be up in the middle of the night. As Hawkeye and Trapper try to explain, they get a call from the front saying that General Kelly has been found dead in an ambulance filled with girls. 
Wartman takes the phone and tells the soldier on the other end to take the body to a sector where Wartman orders an attack on with rockets and jets. So Kelly will die a full-scale, blazing, all-out, glorious, star-spangled, bannered death. <laughs> Henry, confused, asks Hawkeye and Trapper if he understands what's happening. Is Colonel Wartman trying to kill a man who's already dead? Hawkeye and Trapper answer yes and head back to the swamp. So, all right, Zoom, why did you want to talk about this one? Well, I believe it was due to intentional misrepresentation, Corporal <laughs> Captain. I deny but, nothing. <laughs> but seriously, ha- having been in advertising as well as in the role of, mar- uh, of a marketing strategist and troubleshooter for many years, I- I'm very familiar with the power of perception. And this episode takes that concept to absurd and, I suppose, disturbingly absurd extremes. Um, the comedy in this episode is very dark compared to the others with all of the death jokes and especially Colonel Wartman and Radar's frustrating attempts to find a heroic death scenario all to, I believe, just maintain the public perception of the Lieutenant General. Um, everybody, everybody knows he's a hero. Um, and that's probably why Colonel Wartman first wanted to cover up the general dying from an unheroic heart attack. Um, but then he had to cover up the new scenario of the general being killed in an ambulance accident in the company of a number of local, what was it, business girls? B- business girls, yeah. Yes. Uh, but at any rate, I'm, I'm forced to wonder just how much of a hero Lieutenant General Kelly truly was and how much of it was just spin by him and his aide, Colonel Wartman. That's a good question. We don't really – I mean they, they do – they talk a little bit about his history as a general and, and Wartman at one point does say – you know, he wanted to die that way. He was desperate to die that way. But at the same time, you're like, well, then, you know, he's spending all his time just taking tours of, of hospital units. And uh, I mean, certainly by, yeah. by certainly by who they cast, James Gregory, who was really one of the great character actors of all time. He was in yep. The Manchurian Candidate. He, of course, was a regular on Barney Miller. He was Oh, in, yes, uh, yes. As yeah. the unfiltered inspector, Frank Luger. Frank Luger. Uh, he, <laughs> yes. He was on uh, Hogan's Heroes, which you mentioned. He was in right. Beneath the Planet of the Apes. The main event, The Love God, Clambake. Uh, he did an episode of Star Trek, Dagger of the Mind. He passed away in 2002. By casting yeah. someone with with that such amazing voice, that deep, mm-hmm. you know, you get the sense that this guy probably was somewhat the genuine article. I don't think they really put that across, that he was a phony. Uh, right. Although he, did, right. he definitely is in love with being a general. I mean, in the scene in the OR where he wanders in, he even has his general stars attached <laughs> attached to his surgical mask for Pete's. Right. I wasn't sure if that was a normal thing so you'd know who the general was in the room or if he was just showing off. I think that's uh, a showing off. I don't think generals generally do that. Take the effort (laughs) to take their stars off and pin them to the top of their their surgical mask. That seems a little much. Right. Yeah. And and actually, well, speaking of the OR, I, I I really liked how the general was kind of oblivious to the brilliant delivery of the commentary by mm-hmm. Pearson McIntyre on how basically generals are the ones that are getting all these kids wounded in the war. I love it when Hawkeye starts in and Henry knows where Hawkeye is going and he just goes, yes. Pierce, he just says <laughs> like that. He just kind of, and then later when they walk away, Henry pops back into the frame and just kind of leans over the body as the two of them. And he doesn't say anything, but he just kind of is like, because eh, he yeah. knows that he knows what they're going off. In, and you're right that, uh, both Wartman and Kelly have no idea what, what Hawkeye they, – they're taking Hawkeye at face value right. uh, when we all know. But he's love – I love McLean Stevenson's read on that. Pierce, he's just yes. – he's very nervous about what's about to happen. Right, and then that final glare at the end, that was great. That's true. 
Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, General, when you describe General Kelly as blustering, um, I at first thought, oh, great, another blustering, puffed up, hard nosed type of you know general character. But then you know when he when they introduce him and he says something like a general marches on his men, you know, very matter of factly, and you you get Colonel Blake's nervously awkward acknowledgement of what he realized what that sounded like out loud, mm-hmm. and and then he kind of and then he kind of softens up. A little bit, you know, you, you, um, when when uh, when he notices that radar is still saluting and he kind of jokes, is that salute for the whole war, Sonny? And then he yeah. gives radar, you know, a few gentle bops on the arm. And and that made radar so relaxed. He almost bopped the general back and right, then he kind of right. caught himself, you know, and, and then the general stiffens up. So I'm kind of like, OK, what what kind of guy is this uh, General Robert Kelly? You know, <laughs> yeah, you don't get the sense that he's a bad guy. I mean, obviously. No. He's a little on the sleazy side is that the minute he meets Margaret, he just completely drops all the pretense of of being there for an inspection. And he does the whole thing with Wartman where I love I love the nonsense words where he says, uh, you know, he wants Wartman to take Burns with him to the uh, to the 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 motor pool and check out the Pentagon's new Fratistat plan, which I just love. Fratistat plan. I just love it's just gibberish, you know. Well, you you know what you know what that reminded me of. Fratistat immediately made me think of that I Love Lucy episode in which Lucy was trying to garner more publicity for her husband, the band leader Ricky Ricardo, by posing as a fake Maharinsis. I don't. I don't know that one. That wanted to see him perform. It was a 1951 episode called The Publicity Agent, and she pretended she posed as the Maharinsis from Franistan, which was this oh, fake country. Okay. So it just it just immediately told me, yes, it's fake. I mean, even though he explains it as, you know, this project to turn to make crankcase oil edible <laughs> after, after a certain 10, thousand 10, number miles, of miles, yeah. which was like, boy, what does that taste like? I don't want to know. But, <laughs> I love but Henry I, goes, really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but I I mean, Immediately saw it as code that the general uses to yeah. let his aide know that he wants to have, you know, a nightcap with a woman or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you, you know what we mean by nightcap, but yes. So yes, that that goes back to yeah. Obviously, Wartman has done this before. Yeah, it makes me think too. When I, when I was watching this, is that uh, you know uh, Kelly's assistant is Colonel Wartman, played by Keen Curtis. Uh, by the way, Keen Curtis was on had appearances on Trapper John, Lois and Clark. The Shirley Hemphill show, One in a Million, which aired for like six episodes, but I still remember the theme song for some reason. Uh, he was in the movie Heaven Can Wait. Uh, it was very catchy. But his most extended role, uh, actually, was as John Hill on Cheers, the owner of Melville's. Uh, so, yeah, where eventually Ryan will be getting to those episodes, and boy, was he funny on, on Cheers. But it made me sort of think that it's like, okay, King Curtis is playing Colonel Wartman. He's a mm. colonel. That's very high up in the military chain, and yet he's essentially Wardman's toady. And it's like, what a, what a weird job for a colonel to have to be basically just like he's, – he's radar. He's basically Kelly's radar, and doesn't that seem a little beneath someone who's a colonel? Now, I understand there's probably some clearances that like the kind of business that a, that a, that a general is, is doing uh, has a certain level of, of you know kind of top secret – kind of thing and you can't have yeah. anybody below you know you can't have anybody who's not an officer involved in this stuff but it just seems beneath a colonel to be you know basically just like a secretary to 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 a general that just seems really very undignified for a colonel to have to do well i i suppose so but he seems very very dedicated he is. to his job and to and to the general uh to be able to you know cover up for uh or at least distract 
people from his dalliances and, and then trying to cover up for them. Uh, later, I mean, goodness, I mean, I mean, when he first tells the doctors the new story of how Lieutenant Ge- uh, General Kelly died heroically in battle instead of by a heart attack while he was about to have a fling with Major Houlihan, I, the colonel had a bit of a deranged look on his face, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which, of course, we'll see later when he's with radar looking for areas of fighting to send the general's bodies to uh, body to and then and then ordering the heavy artillery from Kempo base at the end. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that this because this is kind of like a dark humor episode, and it is because I mean, with all the uh, the running around in the middle of the night and the slamming of doors, it very much is like an English drawing room comedy. It has that yeah. kind of noises off sort of thing where you've got characters running in, slamming a door, exiting another door, just as another character is coming in and slamming that door. But yet, right. it's got this and dragging it, dead bodies around. Yeah, yeah, they're it. dragging dead bodies around. I mean, it's like, and then and then you're talking about the the real grim part is that Wardman, as you said, is going to literally fire upon he's not going to fire on on american troops it's not that dark but well, he's going I don't know. he was sending him to a place where there were soldiers suffering from diarrhea i <laughs> why did you why would you want to go there to see that uh, <laughs> exactly. but i mean it's it's like that's really dark that they would it's it becomes such a joke that you would use actual army hardware for for all this phony thing, and it really if you if you extrapolate that to to its logical conclusion, you're like, yeah, he there there might be some people at the very least injured for this nonsense. It's like that's that's a pretty dark line of thinking for this episode to take. It is, and, and again, it's it's that disturbingly absurd level I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, I do, except I like that when they're in the bar and, uh, you know, like uh, the way Kelly laughs at his own joke and he kind of looks at everybody like you're supposed to be laughing. And they're like, (laughs) (laughs) he's like, you must take a picture if you don't mind bringing your camera. (laughs) And he looks at them all and they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah. They all have to kind of, you know, it's like when the boss is joking, you all have to we all have to pretend that what what he said was funny. Uh, I did notice. I don't know if you caught the zoom at the, the scene in the Oak Club. There's a bell at the end of the bar. I have no idea why that bell is there, and I don't think I've ever seen it in later episodes. There's like a there's like a bell that you can ring. Is that know. is that by the door? Is that like ring if you had good service type of thing? I, well, or? I mean, I guess that's what it's but it's at the far end. It's at like it's at the end furthest away from the bar from from mm. the door, and you see it briefly. And I'm always like, why why is that bell there? <laughs> You've never seen it again in later episodes. Just well, like you know, a weird I little detail. I can't answer that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, very. Well, very... this is this is this is the first episode that actually featured. Um, Rosie's Bar, right? It is the first me- – yeah, I have that on my notes. It is the first mention of Rosie's Bar. They talk about there's Rosie's down the- across the way, and that is the first time we ever hear this place mentioned. And so, yeah, it's a little bit oh, of Oh, but a- this isn't Rosie's Bar that they're in. No, this is the Oak Club when they're talking oh, about the Oak Club. The Oak Club. But, yeah, okay. no, but they do mention they do mention Rosie's Bar. It's the first time. And, of course, later on, we would uh, – this season, we would meet Rosie, and there would be scenes in Rosie's Bar. So they, they took that right. little – nugget dropped in by presumably Larry Gilbert or Sid Dorfman and then later writers uh, ran with it. Uh, I do want to mention I've, I've uh, brought up here and there where uh, the, the differences of the, um, the syndicated versions, because those are the versions I saw growing okay. up and it's the laters on DVD on in the syndicated version. It is a hard cut from where they're in the bar and general Kelly says, Give the give the motor pool a good going over a couple of hours as he lasciviously looks at Margaret. And then right. it cuts right to Margaret going to Hawkeye and trying to wake him up. So all that oh, stuff wow. is cut out. So in the syndicated version, 
I always had to piece that together in my my head of like, oh, oh, well, all right, okay, and it's it works just fine. But I just noticed that in the in the full version, there's a lot more material there to kind of yeah. layer it in. That like, yeah, he's really. He's really falling for not falling for Margot, but he's really entranced by her because there's a couple of shots where they kind of give her like a slight halo around her face, yeah. and he's really like, and she's kind of beaming at him and stuff. So there's a lot more to that. Than it, the, it's than mutual, it's mutual admiration for sure, and, yeah. and just having Henry oblivious to it. Yeah, he has no idea. Yeah, no. Well, and and that just, that just kind of surprised me because you would think Henry would know. He's not. He's not an idiot. No. No. I like he may when be he slow on the uptake sometimes, but not that slow. I don't. I think. love when he tries to get in on the photo, and he's like, "Are you <laughs> yes, back far enough, was... Frank?" And Kelly just gives him that look of like, "Oh yeah, okay, sorry." Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like funny. all that. You know, another, another funny bit I like from from the O Club was um, uh, Major Houlihan said something about the general, just how she was so intoxicated in his presence, and mm-hmm. he said it was a very kind thing to say. And then Henry, who's all still nervous, he just chimes in with an earnest, "We're always surprised that she can be kind, sir." <laughs> Henry's desperate to say anything to make things he not as wants, awkward. Yeah, well, he just wants to be—he just wants to be part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to be an observer. He wants to—he wants to be a participant, and and he'll just pull any any straw he could to be part of it absolutely uh, i like when we see colonel wartman again back in the act two he's shaving his head uh which yes. is just a fun detail like like they, they could have just had him sleeping but they just threw that in of like okay he's he's, he's bald king curtis is bald and we see that right. king curtis was bald his whole career pretty much because this is 20 years before cheers and he was still bald but i thought that was just such a fun detail to throw in that they took the effort to like give him some shaving cream and a razor and had him do that when they could have just had him sleeping or just reading a book. I mean, it's just what a weird little thing to throw in. Oh yes. But what's really brilliant about it is that even after, you know, he's mid shaving when they come in and then when they cut to commercial and they come back and he's pacing around the tent talking about what they're going to do, he still has the shaving lather on half (laughs) of his head and that just adds to that deranged look i was talking about earlier but also looking ridiculous at the same time yeah 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 right does make him look very silly as he's talking about this you know serious business and stuff Uh, i like the scenes later on in the when when frank tries to stop by margaret's tent and he you know she's like uh, i have a headache frank and he goes well it's not a headache visit which i (laughs) like their little (laughs) their code that they use for each other he's like i just want to talk and then of course they're sitting there playing cards and i i like that he's like Margaret, this is so unlike you. Well, it's it's unlike them too, Frank. And like, like that, that sort of okay. I guess that makes it okay then. That's fine. Yeah, it, it has that kind of British nonsense logic that kind yeah. of makes sense, but doesn't. Yeah, uh, I love. It's too, brilliantly written. I, it is. I love when Wartman is talking to to Hawkeye and Trapper, and he's trying to get them. He's he stops ordering them around because first he tries to order them. Yes. Uh, and they they say, well, you know, we don't, uh, you know, we'll be the ones with our hands on the Bible and they're not they're not uh, persuaded. And then so he decides to kind of shift things down a gear and he says, uh, well, I appeal to your sense of, patri- your sense of patriotism, your sense of fair play. And Hawkeye says, make up your mind. I love yes. <laughs> And he says it so earnestly too. Yeah. Make up your mind. <laughs> make, up, make up your mind. Because it's like appealing to Hawkeye's patriotism is not going to get you anywhere. It's like he just he doesn't really have that. Um, well, it's, well, it's also that patriotism and, and fair play are not the same thing. Exactly. Right. They're not interchangeable, <laughs> which I, I love. Later on, there is a a, a, uh, an error in this episode and it really sort of underscores about how you see this stuff gets put together, how these things are really like puzzles. 
back when uh, when when Frank comes back to the tent to talk yes. to Margaret, and she's she's pouring like the whatever that uh, headache medicine is. She's doing the glass thing, and okay. she, and she says, uh, you know, I have a headache, Frank. It goes all the way down to my waist. Get it, Frank? One of those headaches. And then he <laughs> sits down on the, her bunk. Right. And he gets poked in the butt by the general star, and she has to make up this story about, oh, uh, General Kelly's daughter wants to be an army nurse, and she right. wanted to know how uh, what a, what a nurse's tent looks like, uh, and uh, you know, and he says just some general. And so she's just BSing through Frank just to get through this. Right. And there's this part where they have this conversation where she says he wanted to get a look at mine, and Frank right. says, "Did he?" And then she is even more flustered, says, did he what? And if you, if you look carefully, when she says, did he what, Margaret's hair is different. Mm-hmm. Her, her, she no longer looks like she's just gotten post the shower. So that was clearly shot completely separately at maybe even a different day or anything like that. But it, she doesn't look like she does in the rest of the scene. And I have to wonder, did that scene, did that little inset – did they forget to shoot it and they had to go back? Did they – was there something wrong with the film? But they, yeah. they clearly had to go back to, with Loretta Swit separately because she just looks completely different from the rest of that scene. But it goes by so fast yeah. it's hard to notice. That's true. I think I, I now that you pointed out, I do remember that her hair didn't look as, as ragged as it, as right. it did before. So. Right. And it's kind of amazing when you think of how much effort you have to go back. You literally have to put everything back together just to do this little – Inset, but the conversation doesn't work without it because he says, "Did he what?" And then he says, "Get a look at yours," which of course Margaret takes as a filthy double entendre, and she gets mad and forces him out. Uh, and then uh, later, on, another little minor mistake, and this is only stuff I learned from IMDb because I don't know the stuff offhand, is later on when Wartman orders the bombing. Uh, the lo- the uh, the la- radar says north of Incheon, latitude twenty seven, longitude seventy. Those right. coordinates would be in western India near the border of Pakistan, about 3,000 miles away from Korea. So I hope they're not bombing that part of the country. Did you notice the other mistake? Uh, no. What's, but, what's but, the it, other but it may not be a mistake, actually. But uh, at the beginning of the episode, as you know, he, um, he's introduced as Lieutenant General uh, Kelly, okay. a three-star general. But at the end – when um, Colonel Wartman is arranging the heavy artillery, he says that uh, Major oh, General right. Robert Kelly. So basically he was demoted by one star. <laughs> he was a three-star general at the beginning, and at the end he was a two-star general. And in the middle of the episode, he lost a star on Major Houlihan's bed. Oh. So was it really a mistake? Oh, metaphor. Okay, very nice. I didn't even. I never knew that. That's what that meant. If you were a lieutenant general and a major general, it, that's it's the stars is the difference. Is that what that means? Yes, that's my understanding. Oh, I never knew that. Okay, cool. I just, I just always thought there was four star generals. There were three. I didn't know that they had necessarily a name uh, to each of the stars. But that makes sense because obviously you have to have some way of, of figuring out uh, which one is which. And obviously, a five star is a higher rank than a two star, or whatever. So, okay, interesting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I said I, I like uh, at the, the the scene in the ten, the final scene, well, not the final scene, but it's where Hawkeye and Trapper are saluting. Uh, uh, General Kelly with their martinis and Wartman comes in and he's like, where's the ambulance? And then Frank comes in and he says, uh, you know, well, we, I got rid of that ambulance. It was full of floozies. And of course he doesn't know what he's saying and he doesn't know that he's getting himself in trouble. And while they're having the conversation, if you look at Trapper, he's starting to laugh. 
Oh, he started because yes. he's just enjoying this that Frank is digging himself a really deep hole. And I just I love that he just sort of stands back and lets it happen, which is great. Well, it's not just Frank. It's it's uh, Colonel Wartman's plan is starting to come apart, too. Yep. yep. So I think he's kind of laughing at that, too, because I, I love what he said going back to the VIP tent when the doctors were refusing to go along, especially Trapper's line where he says, if you lie about the general dying in battle, it's unfair to the thousands of guys who really did. Right. You know, so I, I I think he loves the idea that that this uh, that this cover up is 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 starting to fall apart. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. They're, they're Hawkeye and Trapper just sort of enjoying for once. They're kind of not the 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 engine of this scheme. They're kind of the helpers, <laughs> but they but at some point they just sit back and are just watching it all unfold, which is great. And poor Radar is getting terrorized. He can't get a moment's sleep as Wartman keeps coming in and and throwing him around, you know, waking him up and getting him to do yes. these different things. But uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it. It's it's a really funny show, and the only thing I don't like about this episode really is the button, uh, the the back the the act three break scene where uh, they read Hawkeye and Trapper read about the story of Iron Guts Kelly and Stars and Stripes, and it, it, the story has held that he died fighting to the end and, and constant yeah. battle with the enemy, and they they. Uh, Trapper says something like, I'm going to go in and have a martini. And Hawkeye says, oh, there you go. Uh, you know, we're ignoring reality. Uh, you know, and then they have this debate about, well, one man's reality is another man's fantasy. And at that point, two nurses walk by and they stop what they're saying. And Hawkeye says something like, uh, great, you, you you take the one with the nice fantasy. I'll, you, you take the reality. I'll take the one with the nice fantasy. And it's just kind of yeah. like a sexist just referring to these women as their body parts and it just it's so disconnected to the rest of the episode which is great that i yeah. wish they had maybe come up with a little bit of a better way to just go get out of the show but it's it's a pretty minor thing yeah well it was kind of like the way comedy was done on television at the time too unfortunately but but yeah it it, it um and to be honest i don't have an alternative way on how they could have uh, buttoned that up right yeah, but I, did, I, but I did like where it was going. Where you know the he, you know the general, or I guess Colonel Wartman gets the general's death that the general wanted. Right, it works. You know? The the, the so, plot ends up working because it ends up being yes. in stars and stripes, and you know, everyone thinks that he died like Patton or something. Well, not Patton didn't die in battle, but I mean he dies no. this sort of glorious death, which is what Wartman wanted. Uh, so, so otherwise, this is a really great show. I mentioned that this was co-written by Sid Dorfman. His last credit on Mash was Major Fred C. Dobbs, which is uh, Larry Gelbert said it was the worst Mash they ever did. And it, that's a very Hogan's Heroes episode. You were talking about how some shows feel like Hogan's Heroes. That's a yeah. very Hogan's episode. And so Sid, Sid Dorfman obviously could do something very silly and slight like uh, Major Fritz C. Dubs and then do one like this, which is just funny from beginning to end and has a real dark um, mordant strain in it, which I really like. Um, the other two other actors I wanted to mention briefly, Byron Chung uh, plays uh, Mr. They don't call him Mr. Quack, I think. Uh, but he's the bartender again here, and he appeared in seven different mashes playing different characters. He had roles in The Rockford Files, Airwolf, and The New Temperatures Rising Show, which is a show I never fail to mention when it comes up just because I love how ridiculous that title is. And then <laughs> the uh, the anesthetist who gets a line is played by a character, an actor named Alberta J. Alberta J has two credits, both of them mash – this episode and then another episode in season 11. So I can't I can't fathom how like 
how do you come back nine years later for another mash and have no other credits in between those two things? I never understand how Hollywood works sometimes. Maybe Alberta J or may, was a, a staff member or something, and they just, you know, oh, we need somebody at the last second. But I, I can never understand well, she, how. She may have been an actress in, like, commercials, I, which you know, don't necessarily true. show yeah. up on IMDb. That's true. Or maybe she did theater or something, you know. Yeah, you're right. There yeah. could be lots of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. She was probably an actress in a different – in a different um, – capacity Maybe than what so. imdb reports that's yeah. that's my best guess I, I would think so yeah my understanding is that uh, we don't see her face in this episode but we do eight years later yeah yeah it's very 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 strange right again it's like hey didn't weren't you the anesthetist nine years ago yeah i'm back okay all right uh but like i said this is a really great episode now zoom do you have a particularly favorite line or joke from this show uh well Boy, I do. There, there were many brilliant, witty lines. Um, we talked about a general marches on his men, and right. we're always surprised she could be kind. Um, there was also that scene where they find the general dead in Margaret's quarters, and Trapper asks Margaret if she tried to resuscitate him, and Hawkeye just <laughs> flippantly remarks, how do you think he died? And, and Margaret starts to get that angry look. She throws that angry look at Hawkeye for just a quick second, and then kind of gets back to the the moment <laughs> right because she realizes she needs them so she can't get too mad at them and, and you know what this this goes back to what i was originally going to argue about i don't think it was mid um what did you call it mid performance mid performance yeah the general was fully clothed on that's the bed good, that's a good point I, but margaret right. was in her bathrobe so right. i i think it was more the anticipation that brought on the okay. uh all right. The myocardial infarction. Right. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, given the fact that, you know, they were able to drag him across and not have to redress him or anything like that. Um, um, but but anyway, at, at any point, we're, we're back to the favorite joke. Um, I, I, I do I do remember when Colonel Wartman first woke up Radar and noticed that what Radar was holding. You know, right. that's not yeah, a teddy bear, is it? Uh, yes, sir. Regulations against having the real kind. <laughs> There's lots of there's lots of little fun ones here, but I, I think what the favorite one, the one that still makes me laugh out loud um, when I rewatch it, is the one in the scene where Frank comes in to Margaret's tent, and they stashed the dead general in the co- in the closet and finds Hawkeye and Trapper playing cards, and he asks what's going on, and and Margaret says that he couldn't sleep, and and uh, Hawkeye and Trapper couldn't sleep, and then Hawkeye just says, so we're all here not sleeping together. <laughs> He just immediately goes follows along with the conversation. So, yes, yeah. yes, exactly, and and it's just it's just not what you expect. You know, it still makes me laugh. Yeah, I mean, he said he was Alan Alda was so good at that stuff. Uh, my actually, my favorite line is also a line of Hawkeye's, and it's the one where Wortman is trying to get them to sign the death certificate. Uh, because he says, you know, uh, he hits them with the Zen saying about how, you know, a clay pot must uh, eventually crumble. All generals die in battle. And he says, you just fill out the dif- – you just sign the death certificate. I'll fill in the details. And then Hawkeye and Trapper, as they exit, say, there's another Zen saying. Only doctors with holds and heads fill out death certificates like gift vouchers. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. love that so much. He's just like, we are not doing this. And I just, I love that he phrases it in the context of a Zen saying. I just, I just love that. I think that's such yes. a great, and it, it, it's a and, great and moment. And it gets because, the point across too, yeah. which is, which is brilliant. Yeah, like we're taking like, yes, we're, we've been making jokes about the dead general to this point. You know, he makes the jokes about his pearl handed revolvers are up for grabs, whatever. But right. nevertheless, they take their job seriously. And yes. doctors do not fill out death certificates willy nilly. And so I like that they were both like, 
no, we're not doing this. And you can threaten us all you want. I guess Trapper has that retort about we'll be the ones with our hands on the Bible, which is great. I just – I love that whole sequence. It's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. It was great. The integrity that they show. And, and they seem to be the only ones showing integrity throughout the whole episode. And right. Exactly. Exactly. It's a really, I said it's a really, really great, great show. I loved it as soon as I saw it when I was a kid. And I was charmed by the fact that uh, the character has the same name as me. I just thought that was really fun. <laughs> uh, I could. I have to admit, I, I really love that. So, yeah. So that is going to do it for uh, Iron Guts Kelly. Uh, Zoom, thank you so much for stopping by. Well, thank you. But I do have one final thing to say. Uh, okay, yes. We should have music, live music, a full-piece orchestra, <laughs> and a squadron of jets flying overhead with red, white, and blue smoke streams to the applause of thousands of cheering extras and rockets, rockets that travel from Krypton to Earth, and water, lots of water covering undersea domes, and robots, lots and lots of robots, mechanical boxes that belt other boxes and then transform into picnic baskets, Corporal Captain Robert Iron Throat Kelly, orator of countless podcasts, is going to depart this program in a full-scale, blazing, all-out glorious, star-spangled, bannered sign-off. What's your special effects budget, Corporal I, Captain? Zoom, I, I don't have a budget for, for this show. <laughs> oh, oh, well, maybe a simple that is all will suffice. I, yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think so. Uh, we... We do need to – Zoom didn't tell me he was going to say that, guys. So uh, I do have to mention, of course, you can find back episodes of the show on the website, firewaterpodcast.com. Uh, we're always talking MASH over on Twitter, which is at MASH4077cast. Uh, and, um, of course, so you can subscribe to the show on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. By the way, I should mention you should find you can find Zoom's shows over on the network as well. And we have to thank everybody uh, who supports this show on Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. So big thanks to Adam Sanders, Nicholas Prom, and Suzanne Holland. Maybe I can take some of the money they're funneling over to MASHcast and, and put together that big conclusion that you, that you were looking for, Zoom. Very good, sir. All right. Excellent. Again, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, until next week, that is all. I know we've been trying to take it for weeks. Uh, yeah, uh, Mass 4077. Uh, how's it going up there? Yeah? Uh, oh, right. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. We took that hell. What rotten luck.